I'm Jeff Murphy from Boston University Alumni Relations, and I'm your host for an interview series showcasing the career paths of our most interesting and accomplished alumni. Welcome to the Proud to Be You podcast. Today, it's my distinct pleasure to welcome a special guest interviewer on Proud to Be You, my colleague in the Alumni Relations Office, Dan Gardner. Dan, thanks for taking the lead on today's episode. The microphone is all yours. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Today's guest is Michael DeSalvo, Senior Vice President at the world-renowned PR firm Ogilvy. Michael graduated from the College of Communication in 2009. Since then, he's built his career at Ogilvy, quickly rising up the ranks to become the company's youngest Senior Vice President. Michael and I spoke about his passion for PR, what he's learned from the ice cream man, and why making mistakes has been a crucial part of his success. When you think back to your childhood, uh, what did you want to be when you grew up? And were there any early warning signs that you might end up in a career in PR? I think calling them warning signs is probably the best way to describe them. What I wanted to be when I grew up, I wanted to be an ice cream man, to be honest, just because it seemed like such a fun job. And when you look at the correlation between what an ice cream man does and what a PR guy does, it's actually very similar. So when it comes to PR and advertising and marketing, you're really just delivering things to people that they should or want to know. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to ice cream, it's very much the same thing. I, I think that they're equally as fun. Probably marketing is a bit less dangerous than sugar, but mm-hmm. I don't want to put down the ice cream man industry because I respect them a ton. But when it comes to marketing, it's just about how you, you package things up. Some might say that ice cream men are the best marketers in the world. Cause when you, it literally is a sound that a truck makes that sends people into a frenzy. Yeah. I, I sprint for very few things, but I sprint when I hear the ice cream truck. So I don't think there's any marketer in the world that wouldn't kill for that type of reaction. When you think back to your time on ComEv, uh, while you were a student at BU working towards your degree in communications, uh, do you think your former self would be surprised to see what you're doing for work now? My former self would be floored if he saw what I was doing now. So when I was at BU, I was an English education major through my junior year. And I was sitting in an earth science class with a wonderful teacher. His first name was Sergio. And in the middle of class, he clearly had a lot on his mind. He let out a sigh and he just said, oh, it doesn't seem like you guys are paying attention today. Why don't we end class and we'll pick it up next time. And everyone else got up and ran out of the class. And I sat there and I was like, if this man who's at the height of his profession at such a prestigious university is not excited about teaching today, I don't think I will ever be that excited. This man loves his job and I don't love education that much. Mm -hmm. And I literally walked out uh, out of SED and before they built the building in front of Calm, when you look across the street from SED, the first building you see is Calm. And I walked across the street and I walked in and I literally went over to that lovely woman that sits at the desk over on the right side of the entrance. And I asked her, I said, do you have any pamphlets of of what you do here? And she said, the sentence that changed my life. She said, Oh, I'm sorry, honey. We haven't had pamphlets since 1982. And then she set me up to talk to a calm guidance counselor. 
And then I took an uh, intro to PR class that was led by Professor Quigley, who's still a prestigious member of the BU faculty. Mm-hmm. And from there, it just snowballed. Started taking internships. But even when I graduated, knowing I wanted to do PR, I never thought of doing healthcare PR. How that came about is Professor Quigley said to me, you know, you have a year and you need some internships. So I started taking any internship that I could get. And one of them was writing for something called the Parent Review, which was New England's second largest online-only pregnancy newsletter. I was like, okay, I'll get my, my writing chops together. And I wrote for them for two weeks. And I put it on my resume like any good student would. Mm-hmm. And then I got this internship at Ogilvy, and they said, oh, it's because you have such strong healthcare credentials. And I was racking my brain and I was like, healthcare, I haven't done healthcare ever. And then they said, yeah, you know, that stint you had at this pregnancy newsletter is really impressive. And from there, I just smiled, said, of course, I know so much about pregnancy. I know everything. It's mm-hmm. nine months of your life. Uh, and then I walked in the doors of Ogilvy taking a healthcare internship. And I've been here ever since. And I have loved every single day of it. And that's something that I wanted to get into because you've spent nine years, the last nine years uh, at the same company. And I think for uh, a lot of folks out there who are listening, uh, that's going to be pretty rare. That's uh, unusual to stay with one company for so long. So what was it maybe during your internship or uh, the first couple of years that you were working there? What was it about Ogilvy as a company that assured you that this was the right place for you to grow? There are a lot of reasons. And most of them have less to do with Ogilvy and more to do with cultural fit and replicable across any industry, any company. And it's all about momentum or runway, how much runway you have left. And at Ogilvy, no matter what my title was, no matter what account I I was on, no matter what I was doing, I always felt like I had so much more to gain. And it's because the halls of Ogilvy are filled with brilliant people. And because I've always had great mentors that looked out for me. So I always felt like I had more skills to learn or always felt like I had more work to accomplish. And because I felt like I had people behind me, they, my projects were always far exceeding what I thought my level was. And I was always feeling challenged. When I was an intern, they sent me on a business trip like week three. And I said to my, my boss at the time, who's actually still my boss, my manager. Her name is Shannon Walsh. You should look her up. She's incredible. And she's been here even longer than I have. And I said, you know, um, I'm an intern. Why would I go on this business trip? She was like, you've proven yourself. You really earned your spot. And that idea of proving yourself and earning your spot is something that's always stuck with me. Mm -hmm. And I think that seeing Ogilvy invest in me so early on really changed the way that, that I work with other people and the reasons that I look to stay at a company. I always sat my, I sat my manager down. I didn't sit my manager down. They sat me down early on in my career. And they said, you know, if you were ever not doing okay, just let me know. And I said, if I ever stop having fun here, I won't come back. Like the day I stop having fun is the day I walk out the door. And I've never gotten into that point. I think that work should be, be challenging, but it should be fun first. And you shouldn't enjoy it as much as you can. And, you know, there were very few days in my life where I wake up not thinking I'm going to have fun at work. 
I think a lot of us were really wondering, how did you get there? You know, what are the landmarks that you can identify between intern and senior vice president that stand out as pivotal moments uh, in your career so far? It's funny that you said one of the landmarks, because when you first picture your career or when you think about your parents' career, you think about this steady line, like just a a straight diagonal line up. It's just a constant rise and you're always learning and always gaining. And it's not. It is it is it looks like a staircase. There are these moments that you feel you, you stretch and you grow and then there are these plateaus. And then something happens that really kicks you off and you start learning a little bit. There's an incredible video online. Um, and I can't believe I'm citing this on a podcast. It's of an, an older rabbi. And I don't often watch rabbi speeches. It's not a pastime of mine that talks about how a lobster grows. They grow when they outgrow their shells. And it's because of this discomfort that they have. And when they start to feel uncomfortable in the shell that they have, they shed it because it's hurting them too much and they find a bigger shell. And that's what your career is like. It's these moments of challenge or discomfort that it starts to become a, a bit uncomfortable for you. And then you shed the role you're in and you grab a new one. And Ogilvy has created those moments for me, whether I like them or not, whether it's being on a new business pitch, whether it's being on a particularly challenging client whether it is working on a project that I have no knowledge in, it's all um, the faith that they put in me to do it. One perfect example was uh, that really renewed my faith in the company is I was working on a particularly challenging client. And I said, you know, I'm having a, a real rough time with this client. And they provided me all the resources that, that I needed to fix it. And I said to them, I've, I've tried everything here and I just don't think we're going to be able to give the client what they want. Obviously, in more emotional words than colorful words that I'm using now, that they went and they let the client go. And for an agency to step away from a client because of the impact it was having on it, on the team that was working on it, is something I've never seen. I never saw it before. I never saw it again. And I, I again asked them, I said, you know, why'd you do that? And they said, because of your because of your opinion and how much we value you, we would much rather have you here than have this client that was dragging down some of our best people. And that blew me away. And it was such a renewed sense of the commitment that the company had. And it really showed me the type of place that that is, that it is a place that emphasizes people over profit and that work for a company that considers itself to be a teaching hospital or the Grey's Anatomy of the marketing world. And mm-hmm. I like, maybe I'm not a McDreamy, but they certainly we have the best surgeons in the industry. And then they take their time to teach you how to be one yourself. And those little micro moments are the steps that have gotten me uh, through my, through my career. And I've always felt like I'm growing. Yeah, and you mentioned, uh, you know, you've been working with your uh, your boss for quite a long time. And I would imagine um, part of that is not only a uh, supervisor-employee relationship, but also a mentoring relationship. So can you talk a little bit about what you've looked for in a mentor? Did you identify any during your time at BU? And then how have you found them outside of the academic world? 
Absolutely. So I always get asked about mentors and networking and they seem like unattainable things and they are both made up constructs. Mentors are not preordained. The best mentors in your life are the ones that won't be appointed. And for me, I found a ton of mentors and I, I don't recognize that until afterwards. They're friends first and then they become mentors in hindsight. And it could be anyone. For me, my older brothers were mentors because they entered the professional world before I did. Um, at uh, BU, uh, Professor Quigley and Professor Downs were mentors while I was there because they had been where I wanted to go. And it, I didn't realize it at the time because they were just professors. And then they became something a bit more than that because they always kept in touch. And then when I entered the professional world, it was just someone that would always take time. They'd always take time to answer questions. And then all of a sudden you realize you're not talking about work anymore in the tactical sense. You're not talking about what's on your to-do list, but you're talking about your trajectory. You're talking about where their path took them and how yours is different. And it happens very naturally, but all you have to do is open yourself up and let your walls down. When I started working here, I said, there's going to be work, Michael, and there's going to be play, Michael. And play Michael is never going to interact with work Michael and work people are never going to see play Michael because he's so much cooler. And then I started coming in every day and, you know, started making jokes, started hanging out with people. And then what I saw happen that I was so, I was afraid that work Michael would take over play Michael's life. But what actually happened is play Michael started showing up to the office every once in a while and then Play Michael, people really like Play Michael. And then I stopped being who I thought I should be and started being who I actually was. And when that happened and my coworkers started becoming my friends and then my bosses started becoming these mentors, it changed perspective. Work-life balance does not mean black and white. It does not mean I come in at nine, I leave at five. Work-life balance means that my work is integrated into my life because it's such a big percentage of what I do and that they are interchangeable. It's not two people, but it's one person that just does a lot of different things. And that changed the way that I looked at my mentors and my friends. I'm struck by the, the work-life balance and thinking about what you thought you should be uh, as compared to the way in which you're actually uh, living out this role. So I'm wondering um, if you could tell us what your current title means to you. What does it mean to be a senior vice president? Um, and is it different from what outsiders might think? I, I'm sure that it is very different. And I'm, I might be a bit of an anomaly in the fact that my titles never meant all that much to me as much as the responsibility and the place that I, I had. The way that I look at it is when you think back to your high school, when you think of the valedictorian that spoke at your graduation, before graduation, he wasn't the valedictorian or she wasn't the valedictorian, but they always were at some point, they were seen as being either gregarious or really intelligent. Everyone always knew that that person had that in them. It was only after either a vote or a GPA contest, whatever the criteria were, that that person became, got the title of a valedictorian. But he always knew what their position was. And it worked, it's very similar. Whether you are given a title of senior vice president or given a title of account executive, 
your position in the company is what you make it. And that comes from always raising your hand, getting involved in cultural committees. So for me, the, the only title that really mattered to me was becoming someone's manager because it's, it's not unlike becoming a, a big brother or I'm not a parent, but maybe a parent because you now are responsible for someone else's work, someone else's career. And that was the biggest surprise to me as I rose up the ranks at Ogilvy is that it's very easy to do work compared to how difficult it is to inspire others to do work. And we all have horror stories from group projects in college of that person, that one person that didn't you know, pull their weight or that person that disappeared. Um, and those dynamics exist in the real world, uh, except you can't give up on them. You can't just do all the work yourself because the team will fall apart. And that's been been a tough lesson for me, but it's also really exciting to be surrounded by people that are so smart and to get the most out of people. And frankly, I've been shocked how much I've learned from people that aren't my managers or aren't my supervisors that come out of college and you know teach me stuff every day. And when you talk about culture within the workplace, and now you're in a position where you can really influence uh, the culture, can you tell me a little bit about uh, how you think about workplace culture? What does that mean? This is a, a bit of a cop-out answer, but if you're on the interview and they start telling you how great their culture is, and they start telling you, we have a bar in the building. Every agency has a bar in the building. It's not a selling point. We have ping pong tables. Every agency has ping pong tables. It's a caricature at this point. Then chances are their culture is something that they're trying to buy instead of something that is implicit. For me, my story, I went on a ton of interviews before I started working at Ogilvy. And every interview, I said the right things. I talked about my experience. I answered the question. I was the perfect PR guy. And every interview, I took my flip phone out and I called my then girlfriend and I said, I nailed it. Coming home, hon. Got that job. Going out to dinner. And I never heard back. And then I went on this interview with Ogilvy and the whole interview, cracking jokes. We were laughing. They didn't ask me about my experience. They didn't ask me about, they didn't harp on the questions of what I knew about social media guidance and I walked out, took out that same flip phone, called my girlfriend, and I said, man, I got to go home and I got to apply to more jobs. They didn't ask me any of the questions. They were laughing at me. And by the time I got home, I had a voicemail, because I frankly fell asleep on the train, from Ogilvy HR offering me the job. And that's when it clicked for me that it's your resume will get you in the door, but it's that relationship and that feeling that will get you the job. And you should want to work at a company as much as they want you to work there. When I left my interview for Ogilvy, I desperately wanted to be friends with the people that I met and it felt right. And that's the cultural fit. It's if it feels right. Can I, you will sit with these people for 60 hours a week, some weeks. That is an insane amount of time to be around any single human being. Do you know how much you have to like someone to spend 60 hours with them? It's like going on a Tinder date. Like if you can't get through two hours with them, how could you get through like your whole life? And in keeping with the uh, advice for folks who are just starting out, um, 
what do you think you did right in terms of uh, establishing yourself in those, you know, first six months, first year? Uh, and now uh, from your perspective as a senior vice president, what would you say people really need to do um, when they are just starting out uh, to really make make an impact and um, leave an impression on the, the folks that, that they're reporting to? If you asked me this question nine years ago, I would have said nothing right. Uh, in hindsight, the one thing I, there's two things actually that I, I think I did right. And they're both very simple. The first is I drank a lot of coffee and I'm not talking about keeping myself up at night. In the kitchen, at, I've noticed that the people that drink the free coffee are either the people that are making enough money to buy coffee or the people who have been at the agency long enough that they remember when the coffee was good. And I met more senior people drinking coffee than I did at any event, at any client dinner, at any client function. And it's all about just starting conversation. Like it's not networking, it's having fun. The other thing that I did right was I was the only person in the whole agency when I started that knew how to hook a laptop up to the TV screen in one of the conference rooms. So I, when I was an intern, I knew how to do that. And then my manager saw me do it. So then the, the former CEO of Ogilvy uh, PR had a big meeting and he was in the meeting with one of my managers and they couldn't hook the computer up to the TV. So they said, oh, go get Michael, the intern. He knows how to do it. And then all of a sudden, uh, fast forward two hours later, the CEO is coming over to thank me for helping him out. So the moral of the story is just put yourself out there. Can you talk a little bit about any mistakes or missteps along the way? And what did you learn? <laughs> there are a thousand mistakes and I have learned from each and every one of them. But the main lesson to take away from all the mistakes that I've made, and hopefully everyone here can listen and hear all the mistakes, is that it's okay to make mistakes and that you will learn more from one failure than you will from a thousand successes because you will never do it again. It is, it's kind of like everyone has that one alcohol or liquor they'll never drink again because they got super sick that one time. Mm -hmm. That's what making a mistake at work is like. You'll never do it again. But if you do something right a thousand times, there's always the chance you'll do it wrong. And once you shed that fear and you move forward thinking that it's okay to make mistakes, then you'll find success almost everywhere you go. Sometimes I embark on things assuming that they'll be terrible ideas just because there's the chance that it won't be. And if it isn't, then it will be extraordinary. We, we launched, we've launched campaigns in six weeks and five weeks in healthcare, which is incredible. People have made asks of us that others have said were impossible to turn around. And we proceeded saying, you know what, this might not work, but if it does, it's gonna be extraordinary. And that's the type of, I guess, fearlessness that you need to have. That said, you won't get there without so much fear. I think that anxiety is the single greatest thing that you could bring to work. And that's because it's a sign of seriousness. I take this job seriously. I take my life seriously. And that's what we want from people. We want someone who's fun and we want someone that wants to be around us. 
but you also want someone where this means something to me because it means something to everyone. And when you have that one person in the group project that doesn't care and doesn't need to be there and has a job lined up, you know, then you start thinking like, oh yeah, well, just because you don't want to do this, like this matters to me. When you get into the work world, and you want to be surrounded by people that take it seriously, but who are dumb enough to say, I, I don't care about the risks. Yeah. I wanted to end uh, asking you uh, to talk about the runway that you still see before you. Uh, when you look five, 10 years out, uh, what are the things that you hope to accomplish? And more importantly, what will it take to get you there? I I am very excited for the future because Ovi has taken a lot of really cool steps to get there. So recently Ovi worked to tear down the walls between PR and advertising and e-commerce and all the different facets of marketing. So for me, as somebody who came up through PR, it opened up the, the world to me of being able to take a lot of the skills and the strategies that I learned at, at BU and expand and find how integrated marketing works. So we're approaching things just with a different lens. We used to have clients come to us and say, you know, we have, uh, we have this issue, we want this PR solution. And now we have clients coming to us to say, we have this problem and we don't know how to fix it. Can you help us? And the tools aren't just PR, they're not just advertising. It's how do we get the best out of this problem? Mm -hmm. To be able to have access to that, to work in the world of marketing that I never thought I would work in. I think that I'm, I'm most excited to do things that I haven't even thought of yet. Because if you look back at my whole career, I've just failed in the right direction. And it's been really great. I, in my, if you were a cynic, you would look at me and say, I failed at being an English teacher and I jumped ship. And then you know, I graduated BU and I failed to get the jobs that I intended. And I, I took an internship post-grad, which everyone would probably scoff at and say, why would you take an internship? And then, you know, I, I failed to get a job in consumer PR and do red carpets for Coke. Um, and then I just you know, continued to fail from what I thought I was supposed to do. And if I kept my original goal of being an English teacher, if you're evaluating junior year Michael in SED at BU, he's failed miserably at what he set out to do. So I'm really excited to continue to fail at what I think I'm going to do and do something entirely different. And I'm lucky enough that Ogilvy and BU before it has provided me with the tools and the opportunities to, to do so and to figure out what I'm going to fail at next. Well, I can assure you, all of us uh, at BU and the Alumni Association are very excited to see uh, what you'll be failing at next. And uh, we're so grateful that you took the time today to talk to us on the podcast. And we are rooting for you every step of the way. Thank you so much. I, I can't say enough as to what, what COM and the Alumni Network has, has done for me personally, giving me a ton of friends. Also, for any students that are listening who are in PR, you should be a part of the PRSSA that is uh, set up at ThruCom because it's an incredible chapter and they do awesome stuff. And P.S., a ton of Ogilvy's interns come from BU and come from PRSSA directly. Um, so it's a quick little 
uh, entry point into the world. But thank you so much for having me. It's been awesome. All right. Well, thank you again, Michael. We appreciate your time. Right, talk to you all soon. My thanks once again to Michael for joining me on the podcast. It was really great to hear his story, and I hope we can all find the fulfillment that he's found in his role at Ogilvy. I'd certainly encourage you to read the PR Week profile of Michael in their 2018 40 Under 40 series, and if you'd like, you can connect directly with him on LinkedIn. Great job, Dan, and thanks to all of you for listening to the Proud to Be You podcast. If you like what we're doing, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review Proud to Be You wherever you download your episodes. I'm Jeff Murphy, and no matter where your path takes you, be proud to be you. The Proud to Be You podcast is produced by Boston University Alumni Relations. Our theme is from Jump and APM Music. To learn more about Proud to Be You, visit bu.edu slash alumni slash podcast.